Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. We ended up having, of the 32,000 boxes that went out between the two pre and post race in 87 countries, we ended up having less than 0.01 non-deliverers or, or messes or things that we, we had to That's respond That's insane. To. Lee Fine is the co-founder and the head of sales and strategy at Juice Marketing, a marketing production house focused on creating interactive experiences, which includes disciplines like branded merch, web development, video production, fulfillment print, and creative services too. Juice Marketing's clients are some of the most enviable brands today. Apple, Google, Amazon, Boeing, the Yankees, the Giants, the Seahawks, Bumble, the list goes on. Lee Fine is entertaining, surprising, always insightful, and the bringer of stories. He studied film in college, which taught him how to think from the viewer's perspective. And it's where he learned that every detail matters. A few of my favorite Leeisms, I challenge the why and create the why not. Or another one, we eat with our eyes first. And I have to say that we're thrilled to have Lee and Robert and their amazing and creative team on board as customers here at CommonSkew. Today, in addition to the Boston Marathon story, the clip you heard at the beginning of this show, we also talk about the Blue Origin story. Since not many of us have clients who are making human spaceflight possible, I wanted to hear more about the work they are doing to help their clients orbit planet Earth. We also talk about how to vet projects outside of your scope. We can do this. We may not have a ton of experience in this, but all the pieces that go into this, we do. Let's just put it together. How Juice Marketing fits the various services they offer into each client opportunity. Clients don't always understand how video web and uh, merch can play together. The importance of getting at the table early. And I tell this to all of our clients, if you can get us at the table earlier, even if we don't need to speak, we can just shut up and be listeners. So as you, yeah. you're spitballing your kind of activation plan, we could start brainstorming and even in our head silently of ways that we can accompany that with merchandise. That's awesome. And a whole lot more. Two quick notes before we get into that. Number one, Many of you know about Promo Kitchen, but for those that don't, it's a nonprofit organization led entirely by your peers, professionals in the industry who focus on education and mentorship. One of the original founding chefs at Promo Kitchen, T. Hamilton, was a dear friend of ours who lost her battle with cancer. She was an amazing creator who contributed greatly to many of the organizations in this industry, and she helped elevate all of us with her unique sense of style. In her honor, Promo Kitchen created the T. Hamilton Creative Scholarship Fund. You can learn more about it and donate at promokitchen.org slash donate. Also, this week, we launched a really cool new concept that we're excited about. It's called Community Meetups. We're taking live interviews featuring insightful and inspirational talks by the most streetwise entrepreneurs and mashing those up with a community hang plus a micro learning lab. Bring your team each month to grow together as we share our insights on the topics of sales planning, marketing tactics, and more. It's a fast hour shared with smart friends in a co-learning environment that will be a blast of encouragement and tactical takeaways for you and your growth journey. The whole CommonSQ team will be there, plus many of your friends and favorite personalities. Come meet up with us. Register now at commonsq.com slash community meetups. Now, here's my conversation with the one and only Lee Fine. 
Blue Origin, that's an astounding client. Now, not many of us have clients who are literally building a road to space. How'd that come about? You know, it's a, it's a solid question because the answer is certainly not as sexy as uh, how other people or how we even have secured new new opportunities or clients. This was a relationship that someone on our team had with someone within their org, and that person within their org had actually zero kind of um, responsibility or involvement in the work that we provide for for yeah. clients. They were on the finance side, and it was because of that relationship we had a seat at the table in the RFP process. Wow. You know what's funny, Lee? I, I've had this little exercise in my mind that I loved to do onboarding people, the organization, and that is, it's almost like a little mind map of all of their connections in the world and not to be, not to like poach those connections, but just to explore the the incredible multiplexity, if you will, of our world, the, the seven degrees of separation, so to speak. And right. that's a great story about how within your organization, you probably have contacts at other organizations that, that would surprise you. You know, it's funny. We we do, yes and no. But the, the thing for us is, and we are very comfortable admitting that because we're a small company, if a larger opportunity or RFP or project, it doesn't matter if it's a one-off or, or long-term program, just on paper, we're not going to compare well to the big players. Now, we, we want big player action, but we know that if they're just looking and comparing us to the other larger um, distributors within our space, we're not likely going to get that seat at the table. Now, once we have it, we're super confident we can we can close, but it's not, it, we, there's been times when we've actually turned down RFP opportunities with some very large clients because yeah. just filling out the 72 pages of defining who we are is going to turn a potential procurement person off if they're just looking right. at our size of company, not our capability, right. but the size. If we can get to the table, we're, we're confident. Does that have something to do with the uh, strange paradox that Juice is, in a sense, like you're very hard to categorize? I know, and I love that about us because I've yeah. often been a huge critic of our industry and our space and and challenging it for being or criticizing it rather for being too stagnant and not willing yeah. to make change. And if you look at the company, some of the larger companies in the world that we admire, and I know it's an overused term that goes back decades, but change is important. And our industry, I do feel like has been guilty of just being complacent. Right. Uh, you know, you guys have done so many different projects for somebody like Blue Origin. Of all the projects you've worked on them, was there a project or two that was the most impactful or most inspiring? You know, it's funny. We're actually, I would say, working on that product, on that project, excuse me, right now. So I don't want to get into too much of the specifics of what it is, but I could build the framework of, of what it's about. And that is Blue Origin has asked us to put together their anniversary product line for their employees who are celebrating their 5, 10, and 15-year um, anniversaries, milestone anniversaries with the company. And traditionally, not always across the board, but traditionally, this typically falls into a category with companies where it's an, a plaque, maybe a trip, maybe a pocket of cash, what have you. They wanted really cool, kind of kick-ass merch. This is a yeah. company whose employees have really 
are bought all in to the brand. They are, you walk on the Blue Origin campus and people are wearing their gear everywhere. And the only other company I can compare it to is my experience being on the T-Mobile campus. It's the same thing. And I spent many years on the AT&T campus and it wasn't there. So I know even in like just <laughs> right. telecom, just comparing those two, T-Mobile, it is magenta everywhere. You kind of look at a place when you're not wearing magenta and the same applies yeah. to Blue Origin. If you're not wear wearing some sort of branded gear, you look at a place. And so they, the HR team kind of challenged us with, with coming up with some very different retail-esque style merch that is branded um, so because they they applaud their brand versus, you know, a lot of times people say, hey, let's just go tone on tone. Let's let's turn it down. They're, they want to turn the dial all the way up. And I love that. Yeah. Also, there, there's a, this tremendous, it, it's a pinnacle we try to shoot for in terms of the clients we want to work with, but this brand pride is significant. I was on a call earlier this morning with some folks in a mastermind group, and I, I was talking about how shops and stores allowed us to, when you flipped it on its head, where it was more than just a brand management tool, it allowed us to cultivate brand champions. And at its height, that's what we're doing to work with a brand like Blue Origin yeah, that has that kind of pride of ownership, if you will, even though sure. it's not owner, owned by the employees. It's sure, an emotional sure. investment is huge. It really is. And I think the culture kind of defines itself that we're doing some pretty big stuff and I'm speaking as if I'm a blue person, not representing juice here. Right. So, so get on board, no pun intended, because this is changing some pretty major things that are happening on planet earth, leaving yeah. planet earth. Um, right. And so not by any means to diminish what our other clients or other companies around the sure. world are doing or the impact, but what these guys are doing is remarkable exciting. There's a lot to not be excited about in our world right now. And so right. what they're doing is, is pretty incredible. It's not just providing a trip for regular citizens to leave our orbit. They have these what's called payloads where third-party companies who don't own their own rocket ships, because apparently they're not that cheap, to leverage these private companies like a Blue Origin to bring up their and you insert thing here, whether it's a satellite or something for yeah. the International Space Station or what have you, that's major. That's improving the lives of all of us here today, yeah. not just not just the folks at Blue Origin specifically. So yeah. it's cool. Robert, my business partner, and I joke around at the office now that we uh, are astronauts, and we ask people to really just refer to us as Astronaut Lee and Astronaut <laughs> <laughs> um, because we know uh, less than a pinky nail of information about outer space now. So we, we think that right. <laughs> you're qualified. That qualifies us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're an exciting client doing really exciting things. And that keeps it really fun. How has working with them changed your perspective as someone running a branding, marketing, merchandising company? You know, in some ways it hasn't at all. In, in a couple of ways it might have that I haven't probably given it a, a tremendous amount of thought. Most of our clients, if not all of them, and I think many people on the distributor side listening to this conversation can attest, our clients care about their brand and brand marks. However, there is definitely a different level from one client to the next on how much they care about their brand and, and what it's on. So you can't make a mistake when you're going to outer space. And by no means am I comparing going to outer space, the same thing as putting a blue origin logo on the left chest of a 
quarter zip. However, they put the same amount of attention to detail in making sure it's yeah. exactly what they want and the quality of what they expect, just as they would with a, you know a widget for their their rockets. So yeah. I, I I know yeah. that sounds like a really kind of broad statement, but they do that. They care about every detail of their brand to a level that I can't remember seeing in a long, long time. Yeah. I had an executive VP of marketing tell me one time that she, she said to me, Bobby, everything we do validates the investment made in this brand. Yeah. I like that. And I, we were just the print and promo people, right? right? And this was a franchise system. And she was talk, speaking of their clients and the investment they're making. That goes for employees making the investment of their lives into this brand, working for this brand. Sure. That's essentially what you're talking about. It is. It, it, if the people at the top of a company, regardless of the company, don't respect their own brand, why and how should anyone beneath them on the right. chart do the same? Yeah. And when people feel that they are connected and passionate about where they work and what they do, they care about their brand. And ultimately, that's yeah. what every company's worth is. That's their value, their brand. So I, I think Blue Origin is one of those kind of at the top as far as respecting their, their mark. That's cool. You guys work on some fairly complex projects and some wild projects, things that most of us obviously don't get into. Even the most progressive of us do not get into. Tell me about the Boston Marathon project. You know, this one was definitely the highlight in, a, in what was, you know, widely the worst year for people and many, not just personally, but professionally. The Boston Marathon, which is obviously an iconic event here in the U.S., did something for the first time that it had never done in its 124-year history. And that was make the decision to hold what you know, is now commonly used, the phrase, a, a virtual marathon, right? 13 months ago, we never really knew it. No one really used that term, but now it's, it's kind of everyday yeah. language. The Boston Marathon is different from some of the other bigger marathon races. For example, the New York Marathon is a lottery. The Boston Marathon, you have to qualify. And so not yeah. just anyone, like I'm not a runner, but even if I was there to run it, I can't just go qualify for the Boston Marathon. And there are, they cap it at 30,000 participants and they have anywhere from 75 to 90 countries represented every year at the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So when they made the decision to do a virtual race, they knew that they had to do some things to accommodate people around the globe and not just the people in the U.S. because of the group of geographical diversity uh, that makes up the participants in this event. So when they reached out to us, it was through Amazon and our relationship and work that we do with Amazon. We were, be, we were preparing to do some on-site activation in Boston during the Boston Marathon with Amazon as a, one of, not a title sponsor, but a key sponsor. When mm -hmm. the decision to make a virtual race out of well, obviously the pandemic, Amazon was still committed to use the money they were going to put towards their on-site activation in, in another manner. And we, she got, my client got me on the phone and we just started talking. And when we got on the phone with the Boston Marathon and, you know, the Zoom call started going like crazy. And we came up with a, with something that was not only tangible and potentially fun and exciting for the recipient, but also met what the Boston Athletic Association's needs were to adhere to their sponsor's activation that was also being canceled from it not being a live event. So for example, if Gatorade is a, is a sponsor, they would give away product maybe at the starting line, the finish line, and, and post-event party. But because it's virtual, how are they going to get stuff 
to people around the world. So yeah. the best thing, we, we came up with an idea of doing this custom box that um, by no means are we <laughs> coming up with something that's never been developed before, but the custom box allowed every sponsor to have something inside and get their value out of their decision to be a sponsor at this, what would be a live yeah. race normally. So right. it's interesting because when we kind of landed on this product, um, of doing a custom box, all the things going inside were not going to come out of juice. So the Adidas yeah. wear holes, the finish line, it's not finish line, excuse me, the uh, the number you wear, your bib number, all your sponsors, yeah. we weren't doing any of that. And in a normal project in our space, that's that's the money is, is the right. stuff. <laughs> and right. so I kind of you know went with this, there's opportunity here. It's not going to, I can't, I can't be a pig. I can't go after it all because all this other stuff was long developed yeah. before juice was at the table. So our res sole responsibility is to leverage our fulfillment partner and receive, I think it was, I think we ended up in the 28 pallets of stuff. So all the sponsors wow. sent stuff to the warehouse boston athletic association sent everything and amazon and adidas you name it and then we had 30 well what we did was and i know i'm giving you way more detail than you probably care no about. i love the detail okay. keep going so we did we ended up doing two boxes we did a pre-race and a post-race boston uh. athletic association had no idea what they were going to get in terms of numbers so they said let's cap it so we can control some budget somehow at the pre-race, the first 15,000 people to sign up for the virtual race will get this box regardless of where they are in the world. Right. And then anyone who signs up, including those 15,000, anyone after who completes their marathon um, will get the post-race box. So we ended up doing 32,000 total wow. custom boxes, shipping them to 87 countries around the world, wow. which was Insane because they, these are drop shipped to people's homes. And I said in, in another conversation recently, I learned I became this pseudo expert in like international freight and international logistics. Oh my yeah. God. I, Importing. I, I know a couple of Ukrainian laws about taxes <laughs> that I never <laughs> ever thought I would right. ever need to know in my life. Or Right. Um, you, I've shared this story a couple of times as well, but in Costa Rica, I didn't know that a street address could formally be, you know, three yards past the stop sign on the left. And that's, that's <laughs> legit. And so getting all that, this became a logistical project. Like the box, making the custom yeah, boxes, sure. we all do that. That's fine. You have a vendor, they make boxes, artworks approved. Great. This became a logistical project very quickly, not just receiving all the goods domestically, but then fulfilling and sending them out. The post-race boxes, the, the pre-race box everyone got was the same thing. So hypothetically, if Lee got Bobby's box and Bobby got Lee's box, it doesn't matter because all the stuff inside was the same. The post-race box had a ton of variable data because you got a box regardless if you finished the virtual race or didn't. What you didn't get that I would get if I finished the race is that medal which is your biggest kind of right. you know, yeah. claim to fame. And that's right. that badge of honor. That's that bragging piece. And so we had very little room for mistakes on the post-race oh. box. 
we ended up having of the 32,000 boxes that went out between the two pre and post race and 87 countries, we ended up having less than 0.01 non-deliverers or or messes or things that we we had to that's respond. Insane. To. It's Lee, insane. As yeah. someone who used to run a fulfillment company, that's okay. insane. I wish I knew that, uh, Bobby. Like six months ago because i would have had eight thousand questions for you about fulfillment <laughs> you know, i don't think i could have helped you any if you could send your resume i, I probably have a lot of them <laughs> wow what an incredible i was going to ask you how the client handled the what for sure would be the percentage of error on they something were, like that particularly when it's so high risk yeah they were overwhelmed really really proud of everything and everyone's part now I will say the other part where companies like Juice and other distributors make money is in freight. And we all know that. Right. And every one of these shipped on Amazon's account. So there was even still that opportunity for us that wasn't an opportunity for us. Um, so yeah. we, we weren't making merchandise and we weren't putting the freight on our on our bill and then charging a client. Now, that probably is a good thing. Amazon's rates are significantly better than juice right. things. Uh, slight, right. They're slightly larger than us. Right. So <laughs> we were able, able to leverage that. But out of this, we got a $300,000 project um, for custom boxes, fulfillment, and execution, which was a great win for our company. So what's interesting now is the New York Marathon has since has since reached out to Amazon saying, wow. do you want to play with us too? So who knows what will now come out out of this for Juice. Our, I have an amazing client at Amazon who is incredibly supportive of Juice and the work we do, and we earn it every time. And so yeah. she's already said to me, you know, if we do something with New York or other events, get ready because I'm coming to you. So Lee, help us understand exactly what your role is, because it sounds to me like Amazon's a fulfillment house, but that's not the case. It's not the case. So Amazon, in its simplest terms, was the signature on the check. We actually use, we have a partner fulfillment center in Cincinnati, Ohio. So all of our programs for a variety of our clients or larger fulfillment projects happen out of that partner's fulfillment house in Ohio. And we use them for this project as well. So it's it's kind of interesting with Amazon because a lot of times, and I think this is a common thing with large companies, the larger the company, the more kind of difficult it is to get things done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. would this have happened at an Amazon warehouse really effectively? Probably. They're pretty good at that stuff. Um, was it easier for them to tap us on the shoulder and leverage our capability and also the hands-on attention for such, you know, yeah. needed white glove kind of execution? Absolutely. Yeah. This brings me to a question about juice marketing does, you do all kinds of things, but you basically, you are truly an agency where I think many of us in this business might bill ourselves as a merchandise agency, which we are. But you're doing agency work. You're doing video. You're doing all kinds of things beyond the scope of mm -hmm. promo. You also seem to get involved in a wide variety of wild projects. This is an example that most promotional people probably could have fell into in terms of custom box, but the full scale of this is bigger. Yeah. We all found ourselves going outside of scope. It's easy to know what to say no to, but how do you guys vet an opportunity? How do you know what to say yes to? Is that like an instinct? Is it a formula? <laughs> is it just something you kind of know after failing at it so many yeah. times? Or 
It's a great question. And I feel like I would be completely BSing you if I said we have this <laughs> algorithm that we use uh, to formulate a decision whether we're going to kind of move forward or, or respectfully decline an opportunity. And the truth right. is we don't have that algorithm. We certainly will look at opportunities and understand all of the moving parts to be able to make a sound decision saying, you know what, we can do this. We may not have a ton of experience in this, but all the pieces that go into this, we do. Let's just put it together. We've absolutely said no to clients for a variety of projects that are out of our wheelhouse or something we just simply do not do. One example is uh, a client of mine at Amazon a couple of times had asked us to be their digital marketing ad buyer and understand with all the different demographics that they were going after and for a variety of different products, how what medium we should use and how we should reach these people. And yeah. we said a couple of different times, we're really good at making the content that you need for those people, but where you should go extend that message and how you should move about doing that is not our specialty. We're not, yeah. we, don't, we don't do that. It's forget about not being good at it. We just don't do it. But there are certainly occasions where projects have come to us that we said, you know, let's tackle this. This is an opportunity yeah. that we can do and we can do it confidently because it's one thing to say, let's tackle it at a risk and really lose the potential loss of a client. Is There's yeah. nothing good that comes out of that. So decisions are made soundly, but there's definitely times when we said, screw it, we got this. I think you have yeah. to have that risk mentality to push yourself a little bit. I, I think yeah. otherwise you're just going to get what I said at the top of this conversation, fall guilty of being stagnant within this industry. Yeah. It sounds like you, one thing that you respect is the difference between a calculated risk versus a gamble. Yeah. Although you feel more adventurous than perhaps I would have been, it's almost as if knowing you yourself and your team well enough to know that, yes, we haven't done this project before, but we've got the muscle and we've got the prowess for a project like this. Sure. I think, though, it's more – I think there's a couple of things that kind of lend credibility to how we go about doing it. For one, Robert, my business partner, and I, on paper – we shouldn't even like each other, let alone on a business together. Like we are <laughs> right. so, so different. We live in different parts of the city, like a good 40 minutes away. Um, I, I love urban. He loves suburban. He is not a risk taker. Everything is very, very thought out. He's very yeah. operational minded. Um, these are things that I am not. And yeah. I think that balance is what allows us to kind of exist. I've, there's been times when I've really done a full court press convincing him on why we should maybe take that risk or do something um, yeah. and vice versa when he's kind of, you know, stiffed on me saying, here's why we shouldn't, you know, video yeah. was not something he wanted to get into. I really, I don't want to say convinced him, but it really educated him on why it makes sense. Right. If an opportunity yeah. comes to my desk or my email and it's a heavy, heavy numbers game, I'm going right to him to help solve or, or understand if this opportunity yeah. makes sense. But the second part of it, I think, Bobby, for why things like doing things outside of the box a little bit works for us is this is not the Lee and Robert show. 
Like a lot of our yeah. our projects, our clients, the work we do is because of the people inside our organization. And also, again, like, and I think this is hugely important. Just last week, I mean, all of us are working from home, but I had to meet a, a colleague at the office to, to help with a project. And we ended up having a four-hour conversation. And a four-hour conversation of, of this particular employee saying, hey, we did this poorly. Here's why, and we need to fix it. And it was a really, really healthy conversation. In a normal organization, an employee often doesn't have the time, or not not the time, excuse me, the opportunity to tell an employer, here's how you screwed up, and I think we could fix it, but we shouldn't do this again. At the risk, you know, that could be career suicide. And I welcome it because from day one, Robert and I acknowledge that if we are the two smartest people in the room, our business is screwed. We're screwed. Yeah. And I know that's an often used cliche and and it's very easy for an employer to say that. I don't feel like an employer. Everyone to me feels like a coworker and I trust them because I don't know even that much more of what I don't know. Yeah. So I rely on them. Well, it's almost cliche. It's cliche, but you have to in order to scale. I mean, you absolutely have to. You can't depend. And I don't mean just from a physical standpoint, from a strategic diversity standpoint. Um, I know Catherine's really, really always been big on the reason why diversity is so important for businesses, the diversity of thought. And tying these two together is your team and the diversity of thought and respecting those differences between your teammates, but also you and Robert. The fact that you respect those differences and know that you've got this wild ass idea yeah, and you're going to bring it to him because he's going to poke holes in it. Right. And knowing that those two differences exist and they exist for a reason is because by the time you're done, you're going to walk away with a tangible idea, certainly a better idea. Absolutely. I mean, that was perfectly said because that's exactly what happens when I have a crazy idea and and it's yeah. and it works because i even with my clients uh, we do a lot of video for amazon and i recently told my client i love executing these projects i'd love to bring more to the table can we develop content ideas for you and she said are you serious yeah uh, of course but what is that going to cost and i said nothing we like doing that part let me earn it let, you know in, in a year if she says oh my gosh the concepts you came up with are the most brilliant things in the world. Uh, I want to pay you for this. We'll have that conversation. But we have to prove ourselves as content generators. And these are things that will be aired on television or or on Amazon's website. These aren't just projects that are going to be shared within a team during a a holiday party. And so, you know, she pays a lot of money to large agencies to just come up with content, creative. And I said, we've got some really good ideas. And so I'm excited to kind of now delve into that area of expertise because I think it will just add to our our game, not just being the video production team, but also the video content creative team. You've got this multi-talented, multi-disciplined approach to work. I mean, you're you're doing swag on one hand, you're doing merchandise, you're doing video do you find these components complement each other with clients or do they operate as separate businesses with un- under one roof? You know, it's really interesting, Bobby, because we so often when we go into a new client pitch, which obviously in the last 12 months isn't a thing anymore, 
right. which will return and we'll be able to do that. That's my favorite part about my job. I explain, I try to understand first what our client or potential new client is looking for. Because if they, a lot of companies, for example, with video do it in-house, I'm not there to take away someone's job and they might love what they do. So I'll really kind of, and that's where I turn the dials on, you know, okay, we need to be brand merch heavy in this meeting. Let's turn down the yeah. video. And it looks like there might gotcha. be some web opportunity. Let's turn up that dial. So we kind of recreate that pitch deck depending on the client is and hopefully hopefully yeah. doing our due diligence prior to that meeting to understand what they want. But at the same time, clients don't always understand how video web and uh, merch can play together. So for example, going back to that Amazon Boston Marathon project, we ended up creating a splash page because we put a QR code in the on the inside of the box when you when these athletes lifted it up and they're unboxing there's a QR code for discounts that they can get on Amazon so they snapped that QR code and it took them to a page that we designed um, that had another link to go to the amazon.com slash running page with all the gear that you can buy. And it accomplished a couple of things. One, Amazon was understanding who was clicking on that QR code because we provided that data to them. Two, it gave the athletes a really special experience to know that there were specific discounts that only they got or whoever they shared it with yeah. on Amazon. And so there's where opportunity lies for us to continue to do explaining, if you will, to our clients of how merch web uh, can work in tandem. I think you're onto something huge there when you, when it comes to tying all of these experiences together, as opposed to creating disparate experiences. And I don't know what I'm trying to get at. I don't know that I have a question, but I think it's fascinating to tether or at least connect the dots for a customer. Yeah. I think, you know, like all of us, uh, customers are often guilty of kind of staying in their lane. Uh, right. And categorizing and, you. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that it's one of the things that our industry unfortunately deals with. And I, I don't know if it will ever go away. An opportunity event and experience and execution of a, an event never starts with what merchandise are we going to have? That, and I understand that and I'm completely yeah. okay with it. In fact, right. if it did start like that, I would say you should scrap this whole opportunity. <laughs> but at the same what you, time, what do you mean by that? Can you clarify that? I mean that if, if any of our clients or a group of people on the client side sit down and say, hey, we, we are launching a new product. We have to plan an event. Let's start talking about first what product we're going to have. What merchandise are we going to give away? There's so many yeah. other moving parts that have to happen first, especially with merchandise being a part of this because merchandise should always be like accompanying the the main attraction not be the yeah. main attraction now and i know a lot of people are like what are you talking about it's merchandise we have no stop that's not true it should it should never be the lead in the movie it should be what's the word i'm looking for yeah um, like a supporting actor supporting actor thank you and because also the merchandise has to make sense with the event so if you build yeah. the event around the merchandise now you're saying that that merchandise is more important than the brand message that you're trying to convey or yeah. get out there and I think uh, I'm not offended by that. We know our place. I will say the earlier a client, I tell this to all of our clients, if you can get us at the table earlier, even if we don't need to speak, we can just shut up and be listeners. So as you, yeah. you're spitballing your kind of 
activation plan, we could start brainstorming and even in our head silently of ways that we can accompany that with merchandise. That's awesome. I love that idea. Yeah. I love what you just said, Lee, because often we think we have to be invited to the table with answers to begin with. And just, just telling the client, if we can just be there to listen, we're going to be a far more educated merchandiser for right down the road. It's clients love that because especially in our world where you have not always, but we work with a lot of agencies in addition to like directly with the brand itself. And yeah. they have a lot of moving parts that are going on, uh, that agency or, or the client directly, a lot of moving parts to develop an event. And some of them are, are very busy. And if we make that mess messier, we failed. If we can help tidy up yeah. a little bit and come to them yeah. with concepts and ideas before they're asking, just because we were listening, they benefit. And you know, ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, there's some people in this space that are really, really, really good at sourcing great merchandise. But you really like. I think what we need to do best uh, in our part in the in the wheel is make our clients' lives easier. That's how you yeah. keep clients. One thing I wanted to ask you about the past year and as businesses changed, your team has changed. Um, like everybody's team has changed. Leaders have changed. Everyone has changed to some degree. And there are many changes that probably happened over the past 12 months with the organization, like a lot of us, where it impacted the way we work going forward forever. Mm-hmm. As leaders, what have you learned from your team? What's changed for you guys? You know, this is where sometimes being too transparent doesn't make me look wonderful, but I'll be super transparent. (laughs) Okay. We, it's so funny. We're so client focused that I would, I, I feel confident, unfortunately confident in saying that I feel like Robert and I could have done a better job kind of leading our team through this as far as connecting more regularly. You know, one of the biggest things, now we, not everyone works out of Seattle. There's a couple of folks that, that work uh, remote, but the bulk of us work in Seattle. And one of the things we've all talked about that we miss so much is just that banter in the office, right? That collaboration yeah. and that kind of impromptu brainstorm, we, we miss it. And it's really hard to always do that on a Zoom. You kind of fall into your lane, sit at your desk. Oftentimes I stand up and look at my wife going, I've been sitting here for eight hours. Like this is... <laughs> This right. is reason number 97 why I need to lose weight. Like we're at the office, I would generally <laughs> get up and walk around. But, you know, we just like everybody else, we started off the pandemic. Hey, let's do a couple of virtual cocktail Zooms. And the novelty of that wore off. And, and you, you yeah. know, try to um, have team meetings. They're very few and far between just to keep people. Robert and I are very adamant on our team knowing the status or the state of our business. Um, the good, the yeah. bad, and the ugly. So we do that, but it's not consistent enough. I think to be very uh, truthful, we are very, very anxious to get back to the office consistently. I think we yeah. that's where we do our best work. I'd forgotten you were a client before. How does that inform your work and your confidence? <laughs> it's so funny because... So I, I worked at Pepsi and I ran marketing for the West Coast, like Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. Um, yeah. I had it, it was the job of, of a span of my life where I say I had the best perks uh, in employment ever because 
Pepsi, as you know, is a sponsor of so many different teams, stadiums, sports leagues, what have you. I, I have all the tickets. So from that aspect, it was beautiful. And I got to go to Hawaii and Alaska five times a year for five years, which was great. <laughs> uh, right. But talk about a job that I truly wasn't passionate about. For starters, I'm a type 1 diabetic who is doing marketing to drive you know, type 2 diabetes right. um, and right. hoping people drink more and more sugar water when I personally didn't drink it myself. Um, so that yeah. felt a little bit awkward. From an aspect of our industry, I, of course, when I needed to wrap my arms around merch, called former colleagues and such where I, I kind of knew and had a relationship and trust that had existed. I, I relied on those guys. But it is really interesting because going back to what I said earlier, it just solidifies the fact that merch was never my prominent responsibility in a project yeah. or an event. It was an aspect of it. And the good and the right merch really mattered, but I never led with it. And I really, you know, it's funny because my distributor that I used is now a colleague of ours at Juice. And I said, one day we need to work <laughs> together again because she's so awesome and uh her name's Shana, and she works out of indiana and she's been with us from the beginning and she's one of the most creative people i know and so i was fortunate enough to leverage our relationship uh and get the value out of someone who does it better than anyone i know that's great yeah talking with creative people i'm always fascinated by how they develop a creative mind and how they develop a distinctive style or a distinctive eye for good decision-making when it comes to merchandise, video, whatever the creative output is. Right. How do you think you have developed that? And is, is this is an ongoing development? If so, I guess what I'm asking is, how do you keep your creative muscle strong? That's a, it's a really good question. And my thought on that is that I don't, I use this term and I use it a lot. I did not invent this term and I don't know who first said it, but we eat with our eyes first. And I remind our team about this every mm. single day because yeah. little, little detail. What I do, Bobby, is I always put myself in the, whether if it's a video, the viewer's perspective, it's a, if it's merch, the recipient's perspective, if it's, a, if it's web, the user's perspective, I always pretend that I'm on that side of the table. So there are some filmmakers out there, and I'm by no means am I referring to myself as a filmmaker, but it is their art and it's their craft. And they're not thinking about the end user's experience because they are truly – it's like a painter. They're making their yeah. art and it's, and it's amazing right. and it's beautiful. What we're doing is not for me. It's for my client and their end user. So I can't yeah. just throw – ink at a board and go, ah, that's what I created. I was feeling that today. So I don't have the luxury right. of, I'm not, I'm not that person. I'm the person who has to think on behalf of the user digesting it. And so I think what keeps me on my toes, because I am I absolutely have a tendency to go off the grid, um, is reminding myself, how is this going to be received? Like, Because that that's what pays the bills. I'm not just, you know, a person who gets to go do something and, and hope that people like it, but really it doesn't matter if they do. It only matters if they do. So being yeah. reminded reminding myself about that often is I think what allows me to to kind of stay focused on creating stuff that hopefully is well liked because I'm thinking on behalf of the user. Love it. Lee man, 
thank you. I always enjoy chatting. I mean, really do always enjoy talking with you. Me too, man. I, I you know, it's funny. I, I think I said at the top of the call, I thought we were doing video and, you know, talking to Bobby uh, is very intimidating because you're incredibly stylish and I am your forever <laughs> t-shirt, t-shirt and jeans guy. Uh, often a baseball cap. Right now I'm not, but I, so I was already nervous, like, man, he's going to look cool and I'm just going to get a t-shirt and jeans. Uh, so we're not on video. So I'll just tell people that I'm wearing such cool clothes right now. If you could only see. Me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but I really enjoyed love the conversation as well. Um, and I appreciate all the work you guys do. I listen to your podcasts and Mark just sent me one that you guys did with the brand merch folks in uh, LA, yeah. uh, and what they're doing. And is it brand merch? Did I say it right. Yep. That's yep. exactly right. Yep. It was really, really interesting. And I, and like, that's, a, those are the type of innovators that I think are going to redefine, uh, our industry and, and how we kind of live in this space, but it has to Absolutely. change is so good. Change is healthy. Lee, you're encouraging to me, man. Thank you. So, not because of the style comments, but because you are a constant inspiration. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.